0: When Gabriel appeared to Mary, he said, Hail, favored one. You know, that has to be the understatement of the ages. Of all the women to ever live, Mary was the one chosen to bear the Son of God. Elizabeth may have said it better when she exclaimed, Blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. You know, what an honor to be the mother of Jesus, to actually bear in your womb the Son of God. Obviously, no man could ever have that honor. The closest any man could come to that was the honor given to Joseph to serve as Jesus' earthly father, to protect him, to provide for him, to raise him as his own. And what a privilege! To be raised in the same household with the Son of God. To be James or Joseph or Judas or Simon or one of his unnamed sisters. To be part of the Holy Family. What an honor that must have been. Too bad we never had the chance. Being born 2,000 years too late. Or do we? You know, Jesus said something very interesting about his holy family, something that crosses the barriers of time and may indeed make it possible for us to become a part of the holy family, and we come to that statement in our text for today. Before we get there, however, we learn some shocking things about Jesus' physical family and about those who can never become a part of his spiritual family. We read first of something that should never have happened because the holy family shouldn't think he's crazy. (laughs) Stay with me. Mark chapter 3. And he came home and the multitude gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. And when his own family heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, he has lost his senses. Now Mark is the only one to record what Jesus' family was thinking, someone must have told. And scholars do not doubt the authenticity of Mark's report, because the early church would never have accepted something that put Jesus' family in such poor light if it hadn't been true. And we are talking about Jesus' family here. His own people refers to his kin, to his family. And the text will soon identify his own people specifically as his mother and brothers. They thought Jesus had lost his senses, that he had gone over the edge, that he was crazy. Let's see why. Well, Mark tells us that Jesus had returned home to a house we've already determined was actually Peter's home in Capernaum where Jesus stayed while in Galilee. And whenever he was there and word got out, the crowds came. The first time, Mark says, the whole city had gathered at the door. The second time, a paralytic had been lowered through a hole in the roof because he couldn't get to Jesus any other way. And now the crowds were so demanding that Jesus couldn't even take time to eat. Apparently word got back to Nazareth, to Jesus' family, that he wasn't eating and they were worried, really worried. You know, he had left a successful family business. He was hanging out with fishermen, tax gatherers, and sinners. He was antagonizing the religious establishment to such an extent that they were plotting ways to get rid of him. And now he wasn't taking care of himself. It looked like this Messiah thing had gone too far. It was time for him to come home, back to Nazareth, where his family could take care of him. Now, we might have expected this from his brothers. They they didn't believe in him, not until after the resurrection. But you would have thought mother, his mother, Mary, would have known better. You know, when the angel told her she would bear a son, he said, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. When she questioned how it would be possible since she was a virgin, he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and for that reason the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. Had she been so caught off guard by the announcement that she would miraculously have a son that she missed the details about who he was? When the shepherds came to the manger and made known all that had been told to them about the child, she treasured them and pondered them in her heart. But did she not understand what it meant to be a Savior who is Christ the Lord? When they took him to the temple as an infant to present him to the Lord, why were his father and mother amazed at the things that were being said about him by Simeon and Anna? Didn't they know who they were going to raise? And when they found him in the temple at 12, sitting in the midst of the teachers, amazing them with his answers, Why did he have to say, did you not know I had to be about my father's business? Maybe she didn't fully understand. Or maybe her mother's love simply blinded her. All she could see now was that her boy wasn't taking care of himself. And she figured he needed her. Whatever the reason, the Holy Family shouldn't think he's crazy. And they wouldn't have if they had fully understood who he was and what he had come to do. The text takes an unexpected twist as we continue. For Mark employs a literary technique called sandwiching to insert something between two sections that deal with the coming of Jesus' family to take him home. At first... It seems unrelated, but it actually accentuates the family's doubts about his sanity because the scribes thought he was possessed. And Jesus makes clear the holy family doesn't say he's possessed. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul and he casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. And he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man. And then he'll plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Because they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Now, we can't be sure if this accusation came at the same time that Jesus' family was doubting his sanity, or Mark simply inserts it here for effect. You know, ancient writers weren't quite as concerned about chronology of events as we are today. They, they pieced events together to make their point, and Mark may have done so here. That does not diminish his reliability as a historian, however, because this did happen. Matthew and Luke also recorded, and Matthew even tells of the event that led to the accusation. Jesus had just healed a demon-possessed man who was unable to see or speak. When Jesus healed him, the multitudes were amazed and began to say, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? When the Pharisees heard it, they said, This man casts out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And the scribes who had come from Jerusalem to join with the Pharisees and the Herodians in seeking to bring accusation against Jesus actually said he is possessed by Beelzebul. Jesus responded by giving Lincoln's famous house divided speech. (laughs) Or maybe... Lincoln got it from Jesus. You know, years ago, while walking through Lincoln Memorial Gardens, Marilyn and I came upon a, a wooden bench engraved with the words, A house divided against itself shall not stand. And it was signed, A. Lincoln. Someone had crossed out A. Lincoln with a marker and written, Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, I don't advocate graffiti, but they were right. Jesus said it first. And the point he was making was quite simple. What the scribes and Pharisees were suggesting was ridiculous because Satan wouldn't cast himself out of someone. The ruler of the demons wouldn't empower someone to destroy the work of other demons. If they were working against each other, Satan's kingdom, his house, would be divided and he would fall. Satan wouldn't do that. He wouldn't destroy his own house. And the scribes and Pharisees knew it wasn't by Beelzebul that Jesus cast out demons. Luke records Jesus as asking, If I by Beelzebul cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? They knew it wasn't by the power of Satan that demons were cast out. The Pharisees themselves sought God's help in their attempts to cast out demons. They just did not want to admit that Jesus had the power and authority to bind Satan and plunder his house. They didn't want to recognize the fact that God was working through him. So they said he was in league with the devil. They were intentionally giving Satan credit for what they knew God was doing. And by doing so, they were uttering blasphemies against the Holy Spirit. They were knowingly, falsely accusing the Holy Spirit of evil. And that, Jesus said, is unforgivable, it's the unpardonable sin. Now, we've all heard of the unpardonable sin, and this is it. It's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. But what exactly is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Is it when you inadvertently say something that might cast aspersions against the Holy Spirit? Is it crying out, Why did you do that to me when something bad happens? Is it honest confusion over who's behind what's going on in the world? No, 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 it's intentional blindness to the work of God. It's defiant refusal to acknowledge the activity of God. It's giving Satan credit for what you know God is doing just because you don't want it to be true. It's allowing your heart to to become so hardened by intentional sin and rebellion against God that you will not allow the Holy Spirit to convict you of your sin and the consequences of your sin. When that happens, you cannot be forgiven because you will never ask for it. If you are concerned that you may have committed the unpardonable sin, you haven't. You haven't. If you had, you wouldn't worry about it. In our attempt to understand the unpardonable sin, however, let's not overlook the magnificent promise that is central to Jesus' teaching about it. Truly, I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men. It's possible for all sins to be forgiven if we seek God's forgiveness through the sacrifice of Christ. The only sin that cannot be forgiven is the defiant refusal to acknowledge what the Spirit of God is doing. So obviously you cannot be a part of the family of God if you believe Jesus to be possessed. Because the holy family hears and does the will of God. Continuing on. And his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. And a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. And answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about on those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. In verse 21, Mark told us Jesus' kinsman heard that Jesus wasn't taking care of himself and set out to take custody of him. In verse 31, he records that his mother and brothers arrived. In effect, he used their travel time between Nazareth and Capernaum to tell of the scribes' accusations. Well, now they have arrived, only to find they can't get to him. So they send in word that they're there and they want to see him. His answer is a bit shocking. Who are my mother? And my brothers. Why did he say that? I believe he said it because he knew why they had come and he knew they didn't understand his mission. Jesus had taught the disciples that things would get rough, that he hadn't come to bring peace on earth, but a sword. That he had come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and that a man's enemies would be the members of his household. Now, he wasn't saying that was the goal of his coming, but that it would be the outcome. That families wouldn't understand the choices and priorities of family members who accept his lordship. And that family commitments and obligations would have to take second place to kingdom obligations and commitments. He went so far as to say, he who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He was simply now putting into practice What he had preached. He could not let his family relationships and the concerns of his family get in the way of what he had come to do. And he was making it clear that his true family, his spiritual family, are those who understand and do the will of God. At that point, Matthew records that Jesus stretched out his hand toward the disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. And Luke records Jesus clearly stating his mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Sometime later, a woman in a crowd would cry out, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed, to which Jesus would reply on the contrary. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Obviously, Mary was blessed by having the privilege of bearing the Son of God. But a similar blessing belongs to all who will do the will of God. For Jesus said those who do so are his brother and sister and mother. Now, the idea of being a spiritual brother or sister to Jesus isn't foreign to us. We call each other sometimes brother and sister. The idea of being his mother, on the other hand, It's a bit unexpected. But that's what he said. If we do the will of God, we become his brother and sister and mother. Now, he doesn't say we become his father because his father is already spiritual and abides in heaven. But by faith and obedience to his heavenly father, we do become The spiritual family of Jesus. What an awesome thought to lay hold of this Christmas. The Holy Family is not the ceramic figurines in our nativity set, we are. We are the Holy Family. And if Christ has been born in our hearts, we have become His mother. We've given birth to the incarnate Son of God and He now lives His life through us. What an amazing thought. We are the mother thought of that what a thought you know the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and she conceived and brought forth the Son of God by the same way the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we conceive in our heart the Son of God and he now lives his life through us What an amazing thought. You, if you've invited Jesus into your heart, you are the mother of Jesus. And then, when we live in harmony with his will, we have also become his brothers and sisters. We are the Holy Family. Jesus was born in Bethlehem to a virgin named Mary so he could enter into your heart and make you part of the Holy Family. Don't harden your heart to the work of the Holy Spirit. If you've not invited him in, open the door and do so now because the Savior